when I came in, I was not in love with the staff. I didn't like that the front person didn't acknowledge that I was there, didn't even look up from her computer. I didn't like that the hygienist uh, was not using Cavitrons or, or was just basically using Profi cups. It wasn't like scaling or any of that. I ended up just firing everybody and starting fresh. Now, have you ever been taken back or just shocked by the skyrocketing prices of dental units or dental chairs, wondering if quality care means breaking the bank? Well, what if there was a way to equip your clinic with top tier equipment without the hefty price tag? Well, enter Olson's affordable dental units and chairs. Crafted with precision, designed for intensive daily use, and made with top of the line materials, Olsen brings you the perfect blend of affordability and quality. Now, they understand the challenges of setting up or upgrading a dental practice. The costs can be daunting and every single penny counts. But here's the game changer. For a limited time, Olsen is offering free installment on any purchase you make with them. That's right, free installment on absolutely any purchase you make with them quality dental units and chairs, pocket-friendly prices, and now an installment plan at absolutely no extra cost. This can only be found at Olson. So if you've been holding back, waiting for the right moment to elevate your practice, this is it. With Olson, premium dental care is within reach. So don't miss out on this exclusive offer. Visit their website, or go in the show notes below, click on the first link in the show notes below and seize this opportunity. With Olsen, affordability meets excellence. This is the Dental Marketer Podcast, where we teach you how to effectively market your dental practice. My name is Michael Arias, and my mission is to help you, the practice owner, to grow your practice, attract new patients immediately, and be seen as the go-to dental office in your community. Now, the question is, how can you scale and manage multiple dental practices effectively without burning out? Well, I am very excited to be joined today by Dr. Kalasho, an accomplished an innovative dental entrepreneur who owns multiple practices under the brand True Glow Modern Dental. Now, if you're in the LA area, maybe near Hollywood, Beverly Hills, around there, Calabasas, then you've probably seen this practice. And in this discussion, in this episode, Rhonda will share her journey, starting from owning an HMO practice to establishing her empire in LA, in Hollywood and beyond. Now, our conversation today is going to explore unique and exciting facets of Rhonda's approach to dentistry, including how she combines keen business decisions with the passion for providing affordable yet high quality dental care. And she'll share her marketing strategies that have transformed True Glow Modern Dental into a widely recognized brand and how she implements a systems approach to staff training to ensure the continuous improvement 
of her dental practice. And we discuss many more things. We talk about taxes, her investments, the broader picture of running a successful dental practice. We also dive deeper on patient-centric care. And then we discuss how she makes these processes into systems and what she does, how she documents it, how she records it, what software she uses for all of this, and how she's now pivoting and transitioning and fully going in on AI-based systems for automation. So a lot of interesting topics that we talk about here. So without further delay, let's dive into our conversation with Dr. Rhonda Kalasho. Dr. Rhonda Kalasho, how's it going? Great. Excellent. I'm in Los Angeles. How can I, I how can I fight this weather? We got sun. I know we got yeah. sun yesterday. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're, you're not far. Got rain ever. There was car accidents everywhere because nobody knows what to do. Yeah, <laughs> car accidents can... everywhere. Exactly. There's traffic. There's like a little bladder of rain and suddenly we don't have driver's license. Yeah. Did it rain a lot in San Diego or no? Yeah, it rained a lot. It rained a oh. lot. In... My parents live out there. I live in Los Angeles, but I mean, we had a lot of rain yesterday, but we love it. I love it. I eat it up. It's like a nice change of pace of everything. We all feel like, we, what do we do? We got to shut down and everything like that. I'm that person that puts up the Christmas decorations the day after Halloween. So now it matches the weather. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So if you can tell us a little bit about your past, your present, how'd you get to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. I own uh, multiple practices under one brand called True Glow Modern Dental. Uh, I did end up owning uh, an HMO practice straight out of residency, which I loved a lot, but uh, I ended up, it was a partnership that didn't go well. And it's because I didn't really understand contracts at the time. And so I ended up uh, just selling my shares of that and then purchasing my first office in Hollywood in 2018. In 2020, I opened up my uh, Beverly Hills location, and now I'm opening up my Calabasas location. Uh, I'm pretty busy right now. I have two little ones at home. But what got me into practice ownership is uh, I really thought that there was a market deficit in dentistry where it's essentially affordable care, but also at the same time, high quality. And I wanted to utilize some of my business background because I was an undergrad. As an undergrad major, I was a business administration major. Mm-hmm. And then I, I picked up some of the prereqs before UCLA to finish up to get into dental school. But I had a good business acumen before I began my dental journey. And I knew that there was a really great market for potential of membership style dental offices, which don't operate like an insurance, but more like how you would see traditional memberships businesses operating where you have a fixed monthly amount and then you are given reduced fees or whatever for uh, a service. And so we were able to do that. Um, I also own my own dental laboratory. So my costs are fixed in a way where I can produce high quality care, but at the same time affordably for my patients as well. So we're uh, kind of a niche brand of dentistry. We do have patients that still come in with insurance. Uh, We concierge bill their insurance and the patient gets billed or gets paid directly. Mm -hmm. Um, That's part of my brand. I just wanted to grow and develop this business perspective that I had even as an undergrad. And now, lo and behold, I actually really love dentistry. I'm still a wet-handed dentist, so I do practice all the time. And you can see that on my Instagram page. I do some uh, pretty crazy video, full mouth rehab cases. I learned that in my residency, which I did at UCSD. And I recommend everybody actually do a residency. Super important. All my colleagues and associates that work under our brand have done residencies. So that's what got me here. I love not only the practice of dentistry, but the business of dentistry as well. Nice. Okay. So that's good. Let's rewind a little bit. You said you 
immediately out of residency, you jumped into practice ownership? You owned yeah. HMO? Crazy me. Yep. That's and me. Why? Why, <laughs> why did you do that? Well, I did go into like a corporate office kind of thing a little mm. bit. I did that for like two months and it just didn't fit my style. I wanted certain equipment. I wanted certain things when I would work and it was just the bare bones. I remember uh, being asked to do endo without a rubber dam and without all this. And it was just like, I was just kind of, especially when you're out of dental school, you're you're kind of still into the standard of care and you're really wanting to make sure that you're practicing that as such. And I remember the corporate setting was very much a patient push and making sure that they finish the treatment, make sure that they get the treatment done, make sure that you hit your quotas and all that. And it's all respectable. That's fine. Everybody needs to be aware of numbers, but it became more of less quality of care and more of just pushing dental treatment out. Um, I quickly ran away from that, but found a great office that I liked a lot. They did accept HMOs and HMO style medical office. It was nice. You can still be very profitable in that market. It's not like you need to be all fee for service to be profitable as a medical or HMO dental practice. It's just a different practice setting, but they're still very profitable practices. And so if people are out there looking at maybe buying in or buying only a fee for service office, fee for service offices are incredibly difficult to maintain and hold. Because as soon as a patient gets insurance, they may leave you, um, as opposed to an insurance-based practice, even in the worst times of economic issues. But for fee-for-service, you may find that if you're just collecting fee-for-service, you'll have a lot of waxing and waning of the times, and then you'll have these tides of being really busy and then not being really busy. And that could be really detrimental. But I got into the HMO practice, and then I was offered a partnership um, because I expressed actually my my goal of practice ownership. So that's how I got in so quickly. Um, so I expressed that during my business meetings with them that I wanted to get involved in as being a practice owner. Um, so I quickly got into that. But the the way that it was laid out was, of course, I just kind of went and read the contract myself. I didn't have a lawyer read it over. I didn't. And so what ended up happening at the end is I put a lot of my own equity in it, but didn't get a good return. And that's a problem. I mean, I always call my career as a constant trajectory of falling forward because I'm constantly making mistakes and I don't know everything that I'm doing every day that is 100%. This is the right way of doing it. But a part of building yourself as a professional and, a, and an entrepreneur is making mistakes and being okay with that. But you have to learn it, learn why it was done and not uh, reproduce the same mistakes. Interesting. Okay. And it's interesting your point on fee for service and insurance. I feel like right now, a lot of the practices, we're trying to kind of transition out of insurance, right? We're saying, yeah. hey, I want to drop all that because I can't, you know, they're judging our work when we do that. But when it comes to the other way around, how yeah. you mentioned it, hey, if you start off fee for So what do you recommend, Rhonda? A lot of the times we want to just start off hitting the ground running fee for service. And mm-hmm. a lot of the times some people recommend, hey, get some insurances, then slowly drop them off and then completely go fee for service. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you build it, they will come depending on how you're going to build it. If you want to build it as a fee-for-service practice, you may want to just stick to it. It does create a fire under your butt to make sure that you're keeping your practice going. Because if you kind of get into this, the cushion of insurance, and insurance does offer a cushion, although sometimes we deem them as being subpar and they're not paying us or reimbursing us well, at the end of the day, if it is an $800 crown, if you're taking two hours to do that, yeah, that's and this is for the new dentist, your your chair time should be $1,000 an hour if that's what you want to see it as. And that's just basic, right? Like just if you think about how much you're going to have to spend in overhead, dental overhead is incredibly expensive because hygienists get paid a lot. Dental office managers get paid a lot. 
dental assistants nowadays, especially in Los Angeles, their average salary is $23 an hour. That's average. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot. And by the way, they're very accustomed to getting full benefits. So they do have our, in our practices, they have health insurance, they have gym memberships, they have a lot of stuff that that is given 401ks, they have dependents that can get health insurance. In our practice, we run it like a corporation and people are very accustomed to that. Even if you're a small dental office, you have to offer these kind of things. So to that, you have to say that your overhead clearly is very expensive. And a lot of your third-party payers, like your dental laboratory is a cost and the equipment and supplies is also a cost. So yeah, insurance paying you $800 is very low, but if you are able to do a very nice quality prep, remove all the decay and all that in like 30 minutes, it's not that bad. And that's better than making making no money in that time. There is a misconception also that being really busy means that you are making more money. And those sometimes those HMO practices who are super, super busy, they're pumping out patients left and right. At the end of the day, the fee-for-service person who saw two patients as opposed to 15 patients is still making the same amount. So it doesn't mean that you have to be very busy, but you just have to create this niche brand or a market for someone to want to pay a fee for service as opposed to going out with insurance. But if you are going to do insurance, a couple things, it's good to build the practice with insurance if you have nothing there. But if Mm -hmm. your, your intention is to drop those insurances, then maybe not sign up for a lot of them because a lot of the times patients will leave you as much as you are a great dentist and all of us love to pat ourselves on the backs and but we're so amazing no one's going to leave us but i'll tell you they'll leave you so fast yeah. <laughs> so, so so as soon as you tell them okay so your copay is not $300 anymore you got to pay $2500 for this crown they're going to run like the wind right so mm-hmm. like they're going to go to they'll look to Yelp or something and try to get something better but i'm saying that there w- what you have to understand is If you're going to be a fee-for-service office, you have to provide a service that is very much reflective of the amount you're asking this person to pay. So you Mm -hmm. have to get through every beck and call. You have to offer 24-hour concierge service. You have to talk to them. You have to understand these people, $2,500 for a lot of people, for many people, is a lot of money. And that's one crown, right? So if you're going to offer this kind of service to them and you're fee-for-service and not offering any other benefits to them, even if it's payments that you're offering, they are paying this full dollar amount rather than going through their insurance, which may be paid through their employer. So you have to create your business models are completely different. Mm. So you have to be okay with it. You can meet the same bottom line. You can meet the same profits, but when you're HMO, you got to go faster. You got to move faster. You can't just dilly dally talk to the patients too long, blah, blah, blah. But you also need to treat them like people. It's very important. People also don't want to be treated like cattle, right? They're still paying whatever they're paying for that. So they're going to come in and they want to be respected in the time, but you have to be mindful of your time if you're doing HMO and even PPO even PPO insurances don't pay well either. Some of them do, some of them pay well, but you still have to make sure that you are being aware of, you almost have a calculator in your head that Mm. your time should not be wasted because the overhead is too much and you'll find yourself in a very bad zone of your P&L statements where you're seeing your profits kind of dwindle. So just making sure that you are aware of that and speed it up if you're HMO, PPO, fee-for-service, you can kind of create a little bit more of a pampering effect. Yeah, interesting. So then fee-for-service, like you said, pampering effect, HMO, mm-hmm. or like Medi-Cal, right? You'd really, or not Medi-Cal, you'd really have to hone in on your efficiency. 
when oh, it comes yeah. to yeah, yeah. especially when they're first out of dental school. Like you got, I remember three hours to do a crown. Nowhere in private practice is three hours for a crown going to be efficient for anybody. Mm-hmm. Like anybody, not the practice, not the patient. The patient's experience is going to suddenly start to fall. I remember numbing the patient so many times in dental school because it would fade. It would like you know, and then they're like, oh, they're constantly moving. It's <laughs> it's just you don't want to. You have to make sure that their experience and what they're feeling in that moment, all that is always in your mind. And this is that's why dentistry is so hard. Mm-hmm. You're like a psychologist. You're like a business owner. You're like their friend, but then also their doctor. And then you're sitting with multiple hats and still trying to work in a kind of a bloody, messy environment mm-hmm. and work at the millimeter, you know, like, so it is a tough job, but it's a, it's also one of the best fields to be in. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So then if we fast forward a little bit more, you talked about your partnership, how it did not go well. And you mentioned that you put a lot of equity, but you didn't get a good ROI out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Specifically, <laughs> where did you feel like you missed the mark where you're like, yeah, oh, if I would have seen that and you want to kind of give us advice or warn us about that. Yeah, I think I what it, what ended up happening is it was I was the only one working there. OK, so mm-hmm. there was nobody else there. And so as I was building up this practice and bringing in all the things that I have done for my own brand, I was buying dental equipment and leasing it out under my name and doing all this others and not under the corporation and not under the partnership. It was only for me. I was putting in all this dollars, all this money. Marketing was spent through me. I started my own Instagram page. I started the own Facebook page. I was doing so much and then bringing up this practice and its value. And then when I was uh, told to buy in, I was bought in at the practice value that I brought in, right? Mm -hmm. So I put in the money and then bought myself back, right? And so it didn't work when I got paid out because I got paid out before the money I put in. So Mm -hmm. it was, I had built it up to what it was and it was just the way that it was laid out. It was really laid out in an unfair way. Definitely just kind of taking advantage of a person just that is maybe not aware of the nuances of contracts, especially between partners. But just as a pearl to people is that you have to make sure that you have a lawyer reading any agreement that you sign and that they can kind of give you the ins and outs of that and understand it. Even, you know, you're going to Google and all that kind of stuff. And it may be because especially when you're first out of school, you don't have a lot of money to hire a lawyer. Uh, or somebody to help you out with that. But even if you have maybe family member that may help you out free of charge to read some of the contracts is going to help. Mm-hmm. I just got a little, you know, I got a little too pompous and said, oh, this is, sounds great. I can have 40% ownership and, mm-hmm. you know, they, you never get really majority, but uh, no, I didn't have, I actually had 11%, but I'm saying that sometimes it could be offered, but you're never really going to be offered a majority. Anybody who owns a practice should not give actually majority to uh, a colleague or an associate. This is still your baby. This is still your brand and your corporation. You don't want to give a majority because you still want to hold a lot of the, um, the voting rights and all that would fall ultimately onto you. You don't want your brand to be carried on by someone else. If you want somebody invested into your practice, because you never wash a rental car, right? And you never Mm -hmm. put glass in a rental car, you kind of just give it to them as all beat up. But if somebody is going to invest in your practice, and they've been with you for many years, giving them some sort of equity or practice ownership in the practice itself or in the corporation is actually a great idea. But uh, they have to also be vested with you uh, financially and in time, both monetarily and in time. Okay, gotcha. Interesting. So then right after that, you decided 
All right, that's it. I'm going to start my own thing. Or were you, you worked no. for a private, right? You worked for a private practice? Yeah, I worked for a private practice uh, for a little bit, maybe like two months. And then I did corporate for like another th- three, altogether, maybe six months after graduating, I uh, ended up getting into this partnership. But then as soon as my partnership um, was settled out and I got whatever I could get out of it, I used that money to buy a practice that wasn't doing well at all. It was actually a bankrupt practice, mm. uh, beautiful location, what I noticed about that practice is they had a really robust hygiene department. Their patients were coming in regularly. They were seeing about, you know, six patients a day in hygiene and they had four hygiene days. But I noticed the doctor's schedule was dead because the doctor wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So they had this essentially just a sitting body of water. It's like, well, if you have a good hygiene department, there's no reason why a restorative section of that practice should not be thriving as well because those patients are coming in regularly. You should be doing exams. You should be following up with their care. But they were just coming in for cleanings and and then just being off on their way and coming back in another six months. But there was no doctor to sometimes even treatment plan them in that day. It's because that just that doctor just felt like dentistry was not for them. They didn't like practice ownership at all. And um, I, at that time, had met a broker at a convention at the CDA conference. And he was uh, like, you know, kind of kept in contact with me, gave me all these uh, potential offices. This one was just cheap because of its, uh, you know, annual salary that it was receiving and its EBITDA was very low or EBITDA wasn't, wasn't good at all. But it was a practice that I could buy relatively dirt cheap. And, but when I got in there, they had carpet, hate carpet in a dental office. If you guys have it, maybe get rid of it. But yeah. the, it's so gross. Okay, but, but the, the lobby, I remember the chairs are like these dental, these like not dental school, they were like school, like schoolyard chairs. And then they were like propped up by magazines and um, the front desk person didn't even acknowledge when I walked in there. And it was like, just like the walls were blue. It was just like such a ugly Thing, but I had a vision and I had a goal in mind. I wanted to buy a practice. So this was for all intents and purposes, a great find. It had a great hygiene department. It needed a pick me up and it slowly, but surely over the years. And I went from uh, that office 2018 to 2020 in the middle of a pandemic, opening another one. So it's fully doable to ramp up even a practice, but you can still ramp it up if you have the vision in mind there. But so it was considered an acquisition. There's mm-hmm. build outs and there's an acquisition. That one was an acquisition because it was still owned by someone. But when I got in there, you have an option of actually keeping on the staff or you can find new ones, right? Or you don't have Mm -hmm. to keep everybody on. When you actually find yourself on the first day of an acquisition, you present everybody there with a letter. And generally, they're not knowledgeable that the practice was even being sold. That's common practice uh, that Mm -hmm. we don't spook people out, right? When sometimes when even patients hear that there is a new practice that's coming in or owner that's coming in, they may leave. When you're acquiring a practice, a lot of the times they don't inform them until the practice um, is acquired. And then you can send out a bunch of emails or letters out to the patient and then to the staff. So in my case, when I came in, I was not in love with the staff. I didn't like that the front person didn't acknowledge that I was there, didn't even look up from her computer. I didn't like that the hygienist uh, was not using Cavitrons or, or was just basically using Profi cups. It wasn't like scaling or any of that. I ended up just firing everybody and starting fresh. Again, I had a vision of someone when you walk in the room, they're bubbly, they're happy. They are the first introduction to your practice before they even, uh, even on the phone, you can hear them. You know, you want somebody that is going to drive in patients and that really 
somber person in the front plays a damper on the mood everywhere. It's like, mm-hmm. try to go to DMV. Do you, uh, everyone look happy? No, it's like, you just, everyone's pissed because the person in the front is not the Walmart greeter. Like I yeah. walk in and I love it. Right. I'm like, yeah, it's, we're here. Okay. Like that's, <laughs> right. that's yeah, yeah. It's here to shop. Like that's what you want. And that's what I felt like. This is definitely a branding issue. And when you're building a brand, this is stuff that you have to think about. You have to think about the smell. You have to think about the sites. You have to think about the colors. These are all very much a part of even dentistry because dentistry is a small little business. So you have yeah. to know you can't just pop in with ugly carpet and propped up uh, chairs. Cultures, yeah. It's interesting that you did that, though, because I guess like advice, it's like, yeah, you know, here's the thing. When you do an acquisition, a lot of the times the team may feel betrayed by their original doctor and saying, how come you didn't let us know this? We've been with you forever. We would have understood this, right? So they, they, there's that trust that kind of like deteriorates. Then mm-hmm. they kind of start having the fear like, oh my gosh, who's this doctor? Who's this young doctor? I know more than her, right? Especially those older office managers. Like they're yes. like, oh no, 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 yes. no, sweetie, please. I can tell you how to do this, right? And then they try to run it. But letting go everybody at once, how'd you do that? Or could you have coached anybody? Like, cause the hygienists sounded like they were still really good cause they were keeping people on. <laughs> yeah. So for the front person, honestly, I just felt like she didn't even their AR reports because you do a due diligence on the practice when you're acquiring it. Mm-hmm. Their AR, which is accounts receivable, was very high. So they were collecting zero copay mm-hmm. and just kind of letting the person know. I, I mean, I did. I'll say this. I did give them a chance. Right. Like talking to them um, about maybe collecting copays before the patient comes in talking about deposits and immediately they shut it down. If someone is not on your same mindscape and they're not actually thinking on your level and that they want to build this practice, they're going to be a plague on the practice. Mm -hmm. So you should immediately just squash it, right? Because if that person is not like excited, oh yeah, there's a new person here with all this energy, wants to ramp it up and they're feeling it. They're like, yeah, okay, let's do it. Yeah, we definitely. And when you bring up a report to someone, because I remember sitting next to this, the front office person was also there. It was, she didn't have an office manager. It was a very small skeleton practice, actually. It had no dental assistant. Um, so the person in the front actually uh, worked as the dental assistant and the person in the front. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. say I, I fired like everybody. I mean, there wasn't really much of anybody. There was an mm-hmm. associate that popped up and did like an OL every 10 months, yeah. right? Um, like, which is a, you, you guys all know dental. Every, you're mm-hmm. on yeah, 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 OLs, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. lingual, like a little tiny filling like every day. And, <laughs> and then didn't even take out all the amalgam. It was just like, I don't know what the hell I was looking at, but it didn't have a huge practice. It wasn't like I fired 11 people. I fired three people that were unnecessary, right? Mm. But that didn't meet the, and then when I, if I talked to the hygienist and I told, you know, look at the, there are studies on, arrest in their studies on laser. Do you want, I'm going to pay for you to take some of these courses. I want you to learn how to do a, a laser debridement. I want you to uh, use the air polisher or whatever, all these other things that you can provide rather than a profi cup, maybe just learn how to scale a little bit, right? Cause there's all this mm-hmm. platinum of this person's tooth, use the cavitron, use the piezo. And, oh, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm really good with this tool and literally how it holds one tool for every surface of the tooth. And it's like, okay, if you're not ready to change and be part of this, essentially look at where we are now. I had a goal in mind, right? If you weren't ready to hop on my back and I f- and fly with me, I'm going to leave you on the ground. You're done, right? Because then mm-hmm. you're going to be a plague on my practice. You're going to be a splinter and I can't move on, right? I can't get to where I need to be. 
if you're trying to get from here to there with the same people, it's not going to happen. And even when you get to there, you grow, you get more people. So my practice has grown significantly from those three people I fired. I now am 50 employees deep, right? Mm -hmm. And every one Mm -hmm. of them is very much attuned to our mission and our practice philosophy. And we, we really spend a lot of time in making sure that everyone is on the same page. Uh Okay. So that's interesting. That's really, really good then. So I know you mentioned that, well, how long have you been in practice ownership for? Um, 2018. Five years. Man, how many practices do you have currently like working and running? Uh, now three. Yeah. Three, have, Los Angeles. Los Angeles. No. Oh, well, Beverly Hills. They're all in Los Angeles. So I, I just stick in this area. Um, they're Hollywood, Beverly Hills and Calabasas. Jeez. And that's such a saturated. So how did you do it? Why? Yeah. Why here? Like I why? Like torture. It's nice. It was, it was terrible. Yes. You said saturated. Absolutely. In my building alone on the same floor, I have four dentists. Yeah. It was so then let me ask you, why did you decide to do that? How did you make it grow so much so fast to where you're like, we're three. And I think you're on another build out you said, right? I'm on another build out. And then, yeah, I'm on a build out right now. I'm actually in the middle. I got permits for it yesterday. So I'm super excited. Mm-hmm. So that I have a team that's going to come in and just do our same look. We have a systems always, we try to reproduce it. And then I have a projection for 2025 as an acquisition. So I'm currently just looking at potential acquisitions as well. These aren't build outs like ground up? No, they're ground up build ups. The next one is going to be an acquisition because uh, these build outs in Los Angeles, the thing is you can't really own buildings in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. They're either grandfathered in, they're incredibly expensive. Like we're not talking about, like I'm sure Nebraska parts of it is expensive, but like, you know, (laughs) but there's some parts like Arkansas, whatever, people are going to buy these massive buildings, right? And that's amazing. I'd love that. I'm married to this city, okay, because I married my husband's out here, my family's out here. I would love to get into more of a less saturated environment. I bet you I can kill it somewhere else, right? But I am now getting tortured and killed here, but I've grown to realize um, what is needed in this kind of market and facilitate a growth. Um, And a lot of it has to do with front loading a lot of marketing right off the bat and then getting a good SEO, doing PPC ads, um, doing even mail marketing campaigns, you're kind of just throwing everything out there and then seeing what sticks. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of the times you may have mail marketing not work out, but in some locations it works out because the demographic still checks their mail. Mm -hmm. In Hollywood, mail marketing for me does not work, right? Uh, But PPC campaigns and local ad campaigns with Google works out for me. Um, having my website really honed in on keywords and all that kind of stuff and having good SEO that's going to manage the traffic that's coming in is really important for Hollywood. For Beverly Hills, there's an older demographic. There's a bunch of homes around there, these mail marketing campaigns, and even being in magazines or whatever it is, those tend to actually work. We still, of course, run our Google. Everybody still uses Google. We're going to aside that. We're talking about other things. Mm -hmm. Facebook is still working with that. Calabasas is the same. These locations are, if they mostly have homes around you rather than apartments and stuff like that, because I think the apartments, it's a very transient uh, living situation. You may have some people coming in for a couple of months and leaving. Mm. These mail marketing campaigns don't always work out. These uh, physical uh, news articles and whatever it is may not be working out. But uh, I also have found um, being in Hollywood, I was reached out a couple times by magazines, right? Mm-hmm. And so like Allure, BBC, MSNBC, I was on Forbes for Hollywood's. They called me the most stylish dentist. I don't know. 
the hell that means. <laughs> like, I don't know, but yeah, I like I it. Like, yeah. Okay, but I think it it sounds like I was a stylish dentist, but I think they were yeah. talking about practice when you were getting mm-hmm. to the article. But like the style, the brand was there and it was recognized by Forbes um, as being a nice office, a nice dental office, and then offering some services to patients that were really high tech. But anyhow, we, we digress on that. But I'm saying that the, these are some things that I was reached out to. And then my online presence grew because they put me in online articles, right? Mm. So they kind of all just fueled each other. And it, it, and sometimes some people are not as lucky in that area to find out what works right away. But you want to try different marketing strategies. Um, not every practice is going to feel a good strategy with one as opposed to another. I remember when I was in Orange County, so my first uh, practice location was out there, HMO one, but that one did really well with like those, but this was a couple of years ago, I don't know, but those apps where you can kind of make your own appointment like ZocDoc and oh yeah uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah so they were doing really well there with that mm-hmm. same with Hollywood because these are like techie uh, younger generations right like mm-hmm. so you may want to look put yourself on one of those platforms where they can get onto your appointment scheduler and put themselves in there because people don't want to call some mm-hmm. demographics don't want to call you right and so like there's a younger generation who completely functions 100% on their phone they email they text they don't even have laptops right they're all everything's on their phone so even optimizing your website to look good on a cell phone is also incredibly important you can hop onto different dental offices and you'll see that maybe their website for the phone is not easy it's like a mess you have to shrink it really low move it up this way it's like mm-hmm. you can't find their number because it hasn't been optimized for mobile these are some things that you definitely want to look into your practice to make sure that you are marketing to the right group, who's your demographic that you're trying to aim for, and uh, what keywords are you using for your SEO if you're doing primarily Invisalign? Where do you rank on the Invisalign when somebody puts Invisalign in, I'm picking on Arkansas, I don't know. <laughs> Invisalign, Arkansas, right? Like, I want to go to Arkansas too. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, damn, man. Okay, yeah. so that's interesting. When it comes to this, you said you front load a lot at the beginning of marketing. Mm-hmm. I guess specifically, how much did you front load? Yeah, a lot. Uh, 15,000 um, in marketing the first month. Um, every month for, or just the first month? Every month for almost like a year. But now in, in terms of marketing, we're way past that. We're at like 30,000. It's still going to grow. It's not going to get smaller. But you have to think about it as your ROI. You're spending that much and you have to think, okay, how much am I spending per patient to come in? If you spent uh, $15,000 and let's say that the person, the patient came in and the price on their head was $150, but they came in and they spent 2000 they spent 1000 whatever it is, you have to be able to know your your numbers of the practice and, and be able to decipher if some of those marketing campaigns are helpful. And you have to also make sure you train your staff and be part of your systems to mm-hmm. ask the patient, whoever is calling, how did you hear about us? Because that is going to be key for you not to overspend marketing. Oh, Google. Okay, well, let's put a tick on Google. Website, referrals. At this juncture, I'm actually now, this is what also people need to understand. You can get really high in marketing, but you don't need to spend that amount every single month, right? There's Mm -hmm. sometimes where you're noticing you're getting 50 new patients. Okay, that's amazing. A month for practice is great. 50 new patients is wonderful. Should I fall back on my marketing? Maybe not. Just don't spend more. Okay. And then what we found is we're getting new patients, but mostly now it's referrals. So I'm actually haven't spent more on marketing in the last year. Hmm. It's just been kind of the same. So over time, when your brand develops and your practice develops, you may not need to spend this money all the time. You may not need to add more fuel to the fire. 
it can carry on in itself by creating the environment that a patient will want to come back and see you guys and and maybe refer a family member because referrals are above all the best. They are the best. That's why reviews, you always want to make sure your reviews are very good. You really want to get everyone involved and gamify your reviews and gamify your practice so that everybody in the practice is aiming towards making sure that your ratings online is always at its best. And it's because this, unfortunately, in our society will hurt you the most. Mm. And it doesn't matter who you are, what your name is, blah, blah, blah. One time I referred, I know he's an excellent doctor. He's amazing, actually. He's on a study club with me and does all this stuff. I was referring him over to someone and I went on his Yelp and I'm like, oh no, I know he's really good. What are these on there? Right. And then like, I was like, oh my God, that's his reviews. And then it makes you even question if this guy is good. Right. And you're like, no, he's awesome. What is that? And then, uh, you know, that's going to make your practice suffer. And it's also going to uh, definitely create a taste in someone's mouth when they come into your practice that they immediately think you're going to be bad. But you have to always maintain those reviews. You always have to put a positive self out there, even if you're having super crappy day, which a lot of us do. Obviously, we. this is why also this practice lifestyle is stressful because you can have a crappy day, but you have to walk in and be all smiles. Mm-hmm. It is good. No one is dying next door, you know, like, oh, hey, like, you know, you want to be yeah. really didn't come in and and give that kind of persona and it really helps build up those reviews and just make sure that you are constantly also asking for them you don't want to just assume they're going to leave you a review because the person who's going to leave you the review is the one you don't want leaving a review but the person who's like you guys are awesome you should ask them even as the dentist well i don't know why we think we're above that we're not above that this is still this is your practice right this is what you spent your money and your time, your blood and your cell, your all that on. And if someone is saying, wow, and giving you some credence on your practice, they love it, then ask them, you know, I know it's going to take a lot of time out of your day. I really appreciate if you just do that. Um, if you don't want to, no problem. But I just like, it really helps us out and humble yourself. You should always humble yourself in life and in your practice and in your chair. It is nothing that glorified you above anybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, soup down to always look at the patient when they're talking to you, not at their mouth, but in their eyes. Sit at their level. Don't stand above them. Bring them up when you're talking to them, not lay them down. You, these, this is never have an opinion of yourself. You certainly just always should just level yourself up with your staff and with your patient. And I promise you, these reviews are going to read for themselves because now you are, you're real. You're not fakely asking, hey, you want to leave us a review? And like you were just a dick to them the whole time. Now you're asking for, mm-hmm. a review, right? So make sure you keep up with that the whole time. Yeah, I like that. Authenticity, right? So then when it comes to, you mentioned there's something you do, uh, you have a system that you like to reproduce when it comes to these yeah. practices. What is it? Yeah, so the systems are, and they can vary between different offices, but systems, it's such a word that's so loaded because a lot of times like, we have systems and what does that mean, right? What is a system? (laughs) So a systems is from the time a patient calls your office. And even before that, how did you get that call? How did that call get intercepted? How did the person answering the phone answer that phone? How were they put into your scheduler? How are they followed up with? These are systems. Mm -hmm. So the step by step by step by step of getting a patient ultimately in the chair, in your office, going over your treatment plan and now appointing them for the treatment because you have to appoint them. You can't just say, I got you in the chair. I did a profi and now you're gone. That's not how it should. You need to reappoint them 
in order for that patient to be successful and in your chair and having, and I don't want to, I'm going to just divert a little bit. A patient is value comes from their recare and recall and reemergence of them back into your system. But one person comes in and you never see them again. That was not a successful new patient encounter. That patient goes on an inactive list. That patient is essentially lost. You spent marketing dollars on them. You spent all the time on them. You paid the eye to see them. You did saw the assistant. You spent the time with them and it's lost, right? Mm-hmm. You need to create a systems where a patient that sits in the chair reappoints themselves for either follow-up cleaning or follow-up care or whatever it is and stays within your uh, practice, right? And so they stay within your active patient pool. Uh, we consider like active patients, someone who's been at least in within the year or 18 months or whatever it is. So keep mindful of that. This patient needs to be seen for recare. Don't call it recall because recall sounds like something's wrong with you, right? So I would recommend that you say recare appointment rather than a recall appointment. And then I give that, that's credit to UCLA's Dr. Goldstein practice management class because I remember that was a one of the slides on his, uh, I never appreciated that until practice where I remember saying, we'll see you on recall. And then the patient was like, is it like wrong? Like something is wrong, like it's recalled, like, right? Yeah, like, uh-huh. So like, no, no, we just need to recarry, right? And so is recaring the vocabulary is also important. Anyways, these are all part of systems, right? The vocabulary, the way you speak, the way you appoint them, the way you follow up with them. And it needs to be laid out in a way where it's not printed and in a binder and put somewhere collecting dust. Welcome to 2023. Everything is online, right? Yeah. Everything is online. Choose whatever system you want to do, but make sure it's accessible to everyone and that everybody knows your systems from the front office to the back office. Everyone needs to be aware of the way that your practice runs and how you would handle certain situations. Because once you as a business owner leaves or moves away or whatever, not leaves, like physically leaves this practice and now comes into a perspective where I'm at, where I'm mostly managing I need mm-hmm. to make sure people are aware of how to handle a situation without calling me a hundred times. Right? Yeah, gotcha. So you created this systems, how? Like you just w- record every single thing you're doing and you're like, yeah, what's working? Mm-hmm. And then pivot it to do better and better and yeah. better? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And how many times I've been asked, like, can I have a layout of your manual? And I would say, honestly, you need to look at your practice from a specific It's not subjective. It's really objective the way that you should be looking at your practice. Like, so you need to handle each and every practice needs to be done differently. And so if one thing works in one practice may not work in another, but make sure you are understanding what worked, what marketing tactics worked, uh, how your systems are, uh, the way that you walk a patient to the back. Do you have a routing slip? Because that's part of our system. Some people don't have routing slips where it says next visit, where it Mm -hmm. says when the last cleaning was. These are part of systems. Does a routing slip work for you? Do you want your assistant to write your notes? If they want to write your notes, you have templates for them. These are specific things that may work for practice to practice, but see what works for you and get that written down somewhere that's accessible, not only in your head. It needs to be transcribed because it's going to be ultimately in order to scale and not only to scale, you can remain in your own practice, but maybe over a couple of years, add more dental chairs, maybe buy the building, whatever it is. You don't have to go into multiple practices. There is some dentists that are very near and dear to me, which I love. And they're killing it with one practice, giant location. Like one location is huge, mm-hmm. right? And they see as many patients as I do, but just in one location. And so they've scaled their practice, their one practice to an, an extraordinary size and they have worked their systems to what works for them. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. So then the systems, 
is tailored to like the practice, obviously, right? But at the same time, I guess it's more like we have to start documenting everything right now and then kind of continue to pivot and pivot. Yeah, there's a lot of like HubSpot may have something, but like also there's something called Trainial that also has Mm -hmm. like an online app um, that you can do. There's a lot of sites that you can actually create uh, like leaderboards for your practice. And that's really good because you can put quizzes on there. Like when you're training someone, how do you train them? Do you physically have to train them? Like, because some people learn differently. You Mm -hmm. may need to um, train them physically, show them show them pictures, show them video, and then maybe take a quiz at the end. Like, you know, so yeah. there is a lot of systems that you can look into that may fit your practice, different pricing and all that kind of stuff. But I would recommend is online stuff, an app. You can even right now, you can find a bunch of developers that can develop stuff just for you. I utilize a lot of AI in my practice. And with the development of AI, I've utilized AI where a lot of people have never even thought to use AI, but I've gotten people who develop AI to specifically build stuff for my practice that I think that has helped. I've paid them out and it's just mine. It's not anybody else's. You can't actually go buy it. But I thought this is what I need. And with the cloud-based systems, like, so I used to have all my practices were on a server and we were using uh, but they're now cloud-based systems. Like I'll use a different word besides systems, but practice management systems. Mm-hmm. So practice management systems, sometimes they used to be on a server. Now you'll find a lot of them on the cloud. The cloud-based servers are a lot better because you can really build softwares within them that can function for your practice and specifically for them. And you can get the coding and all that kind of stuff. You can find them on like squad help or whatever. Um, but you you can find people who are really good in development and build stuff for your practice. Um, and then that goes into even apps. Maybe you can make an app for all your videos and your web information, like your employee handbook and stuff can be on there too. What have you created with so far for your practice? So, so far, I have a robot that calls all the dental insurances that are because we're out of network and we still have concierge dental. So mm-hmm. the concierge style. So even if they have dental insurance, we tell them, sure, we'll get a breakdown for you and send it out. Right. It's our fees, but we are still helping them out to get an accurate breakdown. That's also part of our brand. We are 100 percent here for the patient's experience. So we're not going to be like, you want to call them? You want to call your insurance? Like, yeah. like, so part of that too, although they're like, oh, that's annoying. I thought you're fee for service. Yeah. But like I said, we have to maintain a brand and then a part of ours is patient centered and making the experience as easy as possible to make that appointment. If they have dental insurance, we get the breakdown for them immediately. They know exactly what their out of pocket is going to be. I have a, now a robot that will do that because a lot of the stuff is online right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like the breakdowns are online. And then if we have any questions, uh, then physically we can call some of them. But I've removed a lot of that responsibility of being on the phone for hours on end for the front office is now completely removed. So so now they don't waste their time. They're now wasting they're now wasting their time with other things. But because that like wait on hold for, you know, getting someone across the world to answer your call about a downgrade is the most mind-numbing and it is costly mm-hmm. for the practice. So if I upfronted some fees, got some developers to build that out, and it's been working out really well. We've had it for now about six months. Oh wow. So, yeah. Interesting. That's yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. We also have like a robotic dental assistant that gives the post-op care. Um, It it can be programmed to go into the room um, and it goes and walks over to the room. It's like a little robot and then it can give the post-op so that they the post-op is given accurately. And then the on the back of that robot is all the the goodie bag and everything that is post their procedure, everything that they need for that. It's really laid out well for them. And so that the assistant, you're not like you didn't tell them that post-op. 
Like you didn't tell mm-hmm. them to take this med. It's like, so now you're again, streamlining it. It's now scalable. It's now systems in place that I know that this person is going to get this information. Um, of course, there's sometimes where you, you're like, you know, maybe the robot was taken up, the assistant's giving the, the post-ups. Yeah, sure, that happens. But everybody still knows what to say, right? Interesting. That one's interesting. You kind of like humanize the automation process. There, yeah, you know what I mean? like even x-rays now, uh, they're read by AI in our office. So you can get a second opinion on that. And Do you use the software like Pearl or Overjet or anything like that? Yeah, or no? Pearl is, is amazing. But like, that's what I'm saying. You can start using AI, you know, mm-hmm. like this is the future. So you got to be in for the ride. And developing some of this stuff and being on it with what's out there. Of course, like you have to be mindful of your spend. These things aren't cheap. So mm-hmm. if you're still okay doing what you're doing and your practice numbers make sense, then continue to do what you're doing. I certainly don't want to give the wrong impression to someone that's saying like, oh, I can pay for this. And, the, and you find yourself spending 10, 15, 30. But th- these are very expensive stuff that you're mm-hmm. bringing to practice. So don't spend like that. You have to know your practice numbers, work with your bookkeeper, also your um, some financial advisor as well. Those are very helpful, um, especially because we make good money and you certainly can be in a high tax bracket. And if you're not planning your taxes well and your investments, you can find a lot of your uh, spend because it's the most expensive thing you're going to spend in your life is taxes. The most expensive thing you're going to buy. So you, you have to make sure that you can't just be like, oh, TurboTax. Why? I want to know why. Uh, why TurboTax sometimes is at some of our conventions. If you're a dentist and you're using TurboTax, you're it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's working to you, but you're definitely not getting any. And it's like, look, I'm not talking about refunds and stuff. I'm saying you should be using utilizing the tax code to your advantage and constantly investing, right? So mm-hmm. build your wealth and wealth building is not about having liquid all the time. When you're building wealth, You have to be okay with being in the lowest of the low, with not Mm. having a lot of liquid. Because there's probably a lot of people in this audience right now that have more liquid money than I do right now. Because right now my money is tied. My money is tied in my investments and my money is tied somewhere else. That when you're an entrepreneur and you're building your wealth and you're building this brand or whatever it is, this kind of uncomfortable situation where you're finding yourself asking for loans and paying these high interest or whatever it is and leveraging yourself through loans and funding and tax exemptions and blah, blah, blah. This gets very complicated, very nuanced, very scary, really quick for some people who may be really turned off by this kind of stuff. So if you're going to get into the business realm, you have to understand that it gets very, very sticky, very scary. And there's a lot of times where you may not have a lot of liquid cash available to you, but Mm -hmm. that's part of building your wealth. You know, so you're going to find yourself in the slums, but then you find yourself in abundance, but you shouldn't just live in abundance. You know, I'm very pro not buying right when you graduate dental school, that really fancy car. You need to really tame yourself and slowly start to take off everything that you do in your life. Make sure it makes sense with taxes because your taxes are negotiable. This is something that was said in our mastermind meeting because I'm part of a dental mastermind and also get it maybe with dentists that are like-minded as you. If they have a single practice, great, hang out with them. Uh, if they're multi-practice, hang out with them. You can pick each other's brains. Everyone is here, including me and you, to spread uh, some knowledge into and some life into this field that's just become so sterile over the years and stagnant. And they don't teach us this in dental school. But mm-hmm. taxes, yeah, they're negotiable. You can have an excess of an amount and you can take that money and you can now go and invest in something else. Go invest in real estate. And associates who are hearing this podcast, you don't need to be the business owner 
I have a lot of associatepreneurs within my practice. I have these little business people that work in my practice that are not so little. They have a lot of real estate and real estate is like a, a fixed savings account. It's like a forced savings. You can get equity out of it at any time. It's always going to increase in value. Ever rare a situation. Yeah, we've had times in our past where real estate has dwindled. I think for a dentist who's producing relatively well, you should be fine keeping that for 10, 15 years and then maybe taking equity out of your house to buy something else and, and transcribing that to multiple real estate earnings or whatever it is. But real estate is wonderful. You can do dwellings, small dwellings where you're renting it out and all this kind of stuff. But what I'm saying is, does it make sense for your tax exemptions? Does it make sense for your overall tax credits and reliabilities that you have to pay? right? So just make sure that you're not okay with the fact that maybe 50% of your income is just going, right? So you are a dentist, but dentists don't be under the impression that a dentist is just some W-2 employee. A dentist is a small business owner. And if you're even, if you're an associate, you're a small business because you should have already had an LLC. You shouldn't be paid to your personal account. You should be paid to your LLC. You should create a, or of an S-corp, you should be creating an S-corp for yourself or a C-corp, whatever works for your benefit. But you should be a small little corporation, right? Because you, for all intents and purposes, work at multiple practices. You are meeting the AB5 rules for what a worker is considered or employee is considered. And you're very well an independent contractor. Maybe some corporations are going to only W2 you. Okay, well, then you have to make sure that you're getting then the right return on your taxes so that you can take that money and now invest it somewhere else so you can still reduce your um, liabilities, your tax liabilities. Gotcha. Okay, interesting. This is all wonderful, useful, super duper useful information. Rhonda, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. But if anyone has any questions or concerns, where can they reach out to you? You can email me. I always check my email. So it's just my first and my last name. Um, do you want me to spell it? It's going to be in the show notes below. Okay, but you for that, first it. and my last name at glomoderndental.com. You can just email me. Awesome. So that's going to be in the show notes below. Also her social media platforms and everything else. And Rhonda, thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. And we'll hear thank from you, you soon. So much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I truly appreciate you. And Rhonda, thank you so much for walking us through your journey and sharing your incredibly innovative approach towards dentistry and marketing. And you had wonderful insights into investing heavily into advertising at the start. And that's a, if you notice, when I talk to other startup practice owners or people who break in even immediately, uh, not everybody, but a lot of them invest heavily at the beginning with marketing. And that's something that she, she talked about. Uh, so we appreciate that. Also, how she utilized AI-based systems for task automations and maintaining a strong digital presence. All that information was truly eye-opening. And we also learned the importance of not only providing amazing patient-centric care, but also the need to see ourselves as small business owners, right? Not losing that small business owner touch. And then the emphasis on tax planning, leveraging loans and investments shows us the broader picture of running a successful dental practice, a business. Now, if you want to reach out to Rhonda and ask about her journey, you can find her in the show notes below. And also don't forget to follow The Dental Marketer for more episodes like this. Click the subscribe button, please, if you can. And I'd really appreciate that. And don't forget Olsen. It's the game changer when it comes to dental units and dental chairs. They're offering free installment on any purchase. Now, if you've been thinking about it or it's just gone through your mind, or if you're a startup, and you're about to open up your practice and you're thinking of dental chairs, equipment, things like that, go check them out. Just click the first link in the show notes below and then go check out Olsen. See everything they have 
uh, for you. They don't hide anything. Their pricing is on their websites, uh, depending on the units and everything that you want to get in the dental chairs. So go check it out. Click it. Let them know the dental marketer sent you, right? Like I heard about you guys from the dental marketer podcast. They will give you uh, free installments on any purchase. So go ahead and do that. Click the first link in the show notes below. And thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I really appreciate you. And I'll talk to you in the next episode.